Good morning. Welcome to church. Amen. Amen. It's good. Let's go to the author of this book and pray. Dear Father, we ask that you would uh, illuminate all our minds this morning with your word. And God, to make it alive to us. And just as we sung, how great you are, that God, that you are worthy of all praise and to proclamation of your word here in San Marcos and in the state of Texas and beyond and around the world, you are great. And God, we just ask again for your presence and that we worship you in song and in teaching of your word. Uh, we just thank you that we can gather here in the freedoms of church here in San Marcos. We ask this in his son's name. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Is it good to be here? Yes. It is. This morning, it's Mission Sunday, right? So, guess what I'm going to talk about? Missions. Who would figure, right? So, uh, I don't know if we can switch the screen there. And we will, there we go. And you're all probably wondering, what is that? That comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. And uh, this is an example of, uh, in our church planning, uh, this would be what we call field number one. That's an entry strategy. I see some heads nodding. They're familiar with that. Uh, entry strategy into a region of where you want to share the gospel. And so I want you to kind of keep that picture as I walk through this morning, right? As you will hopefully see. If you don't, that's my fault. But uh, you will see that as we go through some scriptures, many scriptures. So if you got a pen and piece of paper, if you want to jot down a lot of scriptures, because I'm not going to have them all up here. Um, but we have an entry strategy and deciding that's through sometimes it would be family and friends, right? You know, your colleagues that you work with. Uh, that's an entry strategy or what we call a person of peace that's receptive to the message that God has saved you for his purpose to reach your family and friends with this message. And then in field number two is where we call sharing the gospel. It's casting that seed. And then as we read that passage in Mark 4, the farmer gets the rest, right? Because in between these two fields, he rests because who gives the increase? Right? First one blade, then another. But God does that work. I can't do anything about that. Right? But once the seed responds to that, then we step in and start mentoring them, discipling them. Right? And we walk alongside them for a season. And as we have more that do that, we find them, and I will show you this today, that disciples of Christ naturally gather together. And you know what happens? Church happens. They gather together, and that might be five people, 10 people, 15, 20, 30, 60 people, right? That's what naturally happens. And then from this gathering, we have 
we identify those leaders that God has raised up out of the harvest. So that's why we always say, you know where our future leaders are at? They're out in the harvest. Some of you are sitting here, but also there's some that are out in the harvest that are yet to come into the kingdom. So that is our strategy, and this multiplies itself. And it's an amazing thing to watch and see uh, how great our God is and that uh, his strategy works when we obey what he tells us to do. If you remember, last month I shared about what simple church was. It's loving God, loving others, and making disciples. And through that, we teach them to teach the word of God to them. They, bap they baptize the new believers. Uh, they, uh, they have leaders in their church, right? And they pray, and they worship, and they love one another. Um, and they're giving to one another as they have need. And they're breaking bread. They're having the Lord's Supper together. And they're going out and making disciples. And we read that in Acts chapter 2, verse 36 to 47. And so you can read that on your own. And you can see all those elements of simple church as a church gathered together in Jerusalem in multiple house churches at that time. Then as you remember last month, I talked about then, from that we have... Uh, traditional church, and we see that a lot in the West, right, where we have buildings and staff and programs. And those are all good, but it's not easily reproducible because now it also takes a budget, right, to run all that. Uh, so, but we want to keep the core running, right, that triangle. Those things have to be functioning. And so what we have is if we have church here, and let's say during the week you have groups that are meeting out throughout the neighborhood or the city from this church. They're gathering together, they're studying the Word of God together and, uh, and praying together, the worship of the Lord. It's not necessarily church, but they're gathering together. Let me ask you a question. You listening? Has the kingdom of God grown any? In this illustration, has the kingdom of God grown any? No, it has not. It's good what they're doing, right? But it's not growing. You notice the dotted line there? And to the right of that dotted line is lostness. It's the harvest field. What did Jesus tell us? He told us to pray to the Lord of the harvest. Why? Because there's not enough laborers. So I always say the problem's not with the harvest field. The problem's with us because we're not going out into the harvest. But what if we teach them within those groups that gather every week? This is awesome because they know the Word of God. They love each other. They're studying His Word. If they go out and cross that line into the harvest field where we know that people, maybe friends, neighbors, strangers that don't know Christ, and we can share that message with them, and some of those groups will become church and future leaders. And so, uh, so we do this through what we call Discovery Bible Studies. And it starts out simple, and we try to keep it simple, but eventually we keep taking them deeper and deeper into the Word of God so they come to know in the maturity of who Christ is. And we continue to do that into the next generation. Because out of those, these first groups, 
they know family and friends, neighbors, colleagues that need to know Christ, right? Because they want to share that message. This is an incredible thing to observe happen when we put that into place. So once we put that, anybody up in the sound room, <laughs> uh, once we put that operating system in place, that becomes that DNA, right, of go and make disciples to fulfill that great commissioning that Jesus gave us. I always call it the final command that Jesus told us to go and make disciples and who make disciples, who plant churches. That's the natural outcropping of that. But somehow we sometimes get stuck and we don't go, right? But when we put that mechanism in place, it's amazing how it starts growing. Is it easy? No. Is it messy? No. Because you're dealing with people, right? Yeah. It, but it grows and everyone grows and Christ's name saturates a whole region or city with his name and his glory. Who he's worthy to be worshipped, right? That's what we want. Is it not? Amen. Yeah. So here, you, last month I shared with you about Isaiah and Veronica. They work with the Parepcha there. Uh, they identified a group that's meeting in the city of Guadalajara. Now they've been meeting together for almost two years. They come out of a traditional church, this group does. But it's an hour and a half drive across the city of Guadalajara to go to church every Sunday. And I don't know if you've ever driven in Guadalajara traffic. Anybody driven in Guadalajara traffic? Okay, it's not fun. It's the second largest city in, in Mexico, right? Next to Mexico City and the metropolitan area. Guadalajara is the next largest city. And it's crazy. But they've been meeting together. Well, Pastor Isai uh, met this group there, and he is actually there right now training them in this strategy because one thing that's missing out of that triangle, guess, what would it be? going and making disciples. They're loving God, right? And they're loving each other, but they're not going out making disciples. And they recognize we're missing something in our church. So he's going to train them uh, over the next several weeks on this strategy. So that's, that's what happens here. This is uh, amazing. Now, you remember last month I talked about Stas in Moldova. He's been doing house church planning for quite a few years. In the last two years, he's had a group in his own home. They're high school and college age people. And uh, he's got a guy that just jumped on this just in the last two weeks. And so every Thursday, he lives in the capital city of Chisinau in Moldova. And these are guys that were far from God and now have come close who are trusting. And they're meeting together every week doing discovery Bible study and going out and sharing this message with others. You see the multiplication, how easy that takes place? Once they have that DNA set in them to go. Any questions? <laughs> Pretty exciting. So my question is, why evangelize? But the other question I would really ask before we go there, is why are we here? What would you say? Any thoughts? Why are we here? To evangelize. 
to evangelize. What else? Right. Growing Christ, fellowship with other believers, right? That might be some of your answers. Uh, reach the world for Christ. Uh, be conformed to the image of His Son. Right? Let me ask you one more question. What will we do better when we get to heaven? What will we do better when we get to heaven? We will do worship. We will fellowship better, right? We will be able to do every one of these things in heaven than on earth except one. What do you think that would be? Evangelize. You think it's important? Evangelize. Engage lostness to outreach. Outreach, missions is simply the evidence of worship in action, is it not? That's what I see when I see these guys. Worship is the initiator for missions. It's inevitable. It's the fruit of missions. It's what pushes us. That is why we are here. That's the key. That's why we're here. What was, I say, Jesus' final command for us to... Go and do what? Make disciples. You know what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said about this on this subject? Very simple. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Are you an imposter or are you a missionary? Doesn't mean you have to go globally. You can do it locally. Right? We're going to kind of camp out around here. This map of Asia Minor, what we're going to do is do a flyover, a high flyover, and hit the high points. And then we're going to parachute in on chapter 13. Okay? That's, that's the direction we're headed. Acts chapter 1 through 7. The church is born in Jerusalem. The Apostle Peter is the leader. The church is tested and it's purified and it's strengthened. What's their strategy? What's their entry strategy? Jewish evangelism, isn't it? And it's a citywide campaign. They're shaking and they're turning the world upside down in Jerusalem, right? That's their entry strategy. And they're in strategy field number two, sharing the gospel. The key verse for the whole book, Acts 1.8, that they had received power from the Holy Spirit to you be my witnesses to the whole world. Acts chapter 2, Peter pre preaches to 3,000 people and they're baptized. Acts 3 into 4, Peter preaches and many believe in about 5,000 it says. Believed. We cannot, and they're telling them, the authorities are telling them to stop. And Peter, they say, we cannot stop speaking about what we have heard. Don't preach anymore. And they said, we can't stop because we've seen and heard the Messiah and witnessed his death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ.
Acts 4.36-37, Barnabas, his name, it tells us, means the son of encouragement. He sold his property and gave it at the feet of the apostles to do the work of the ministry. Isn't that incredible? Have you known anybody to do that before? I have. I know some of you in this church know some people that have done that. It's incredible that they sold their property so they could do missions. Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to men and God, and God struck them dead. And it says a great fear came over the whole church. This church stuff's pretty serious, isn't it? I asked myself, am I playing church or am I serious about this? Acts 6, the deacons are selected and Stephen is also part of the, the deacons, right? And he's preaching, right? We see that in Acts 6. Acts 7, guess what? Stephen's put to death as Saul watches and approves of his stoning. Wow. Anybody want to join this team yet? That's what our church looks like, right? Hmm. I don't think so. First century church looks totally different than what we look like today. But some live in that right now today. Right? They're living out Acts right now in some countries. Acts chapter 8 through 12. The church grows into Judea, into Samaria. And the message is spreading. It's multiplying, changing lives, and they're breaking traditions. The church is transitioning to national now. The strategy is national evangelism, who they're reaching. So it goes beyond just Jerusalem. They're up here in Samaria. They're down here in Judea region that it's growing. Acts 9, we turn the pages. Saul is breathing, it says, out murderous threats on the Lord's disciples. Anybody want to join the team yet? Well, I don't know if I could mobilize teams to go if I told you this was happening, right? <laughs> Would you go? Right? Paul's breathing out murderous threats. They got a warrant for your arrest. Every one of you that's a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a warrant for your arrest and you're going to be thrown in prison. But Acts 9.3 to 19, it says Saul's story is told. His transformation, he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Acts 9.27, Barnabas takes Saul to the apostles. Guess what? The apostles in Jerusalem did not want to hang out with Saul because they didn't believe that he was a disciple of Jesus. Have you ever known somebody that they might not look like us or act like us, but they're a follower and love Jesus? Um, and you're saying, man, I don't think I could hang out with that guy. Right? Barnabas was one of those guys living up to his name and encourager. He came alongside Saul and he brought him to the apostle and said, this man has been preaching boldly in Damascus about Jesus. So he's testifying to his authenticity that he is a disciple 
of Jesus. I have an example there. I remember a few years ago, uh, anybody remember El Chapo in the Sinaloa cartel leader? Yeah, everybody's heard of him. I was in his area. I flew into Los Mochis in Sinaloa State, and then we moved up towards the mountains, and I was working with a church planner up there, and he had established like five churches up in that region. And then one day we were in the service, and they had a church that was about the size of our sanctuary. You know, that's a pretty nice-sized sanctuary, isn't it, Alan Steve, in Mexico, right? That's pretty nice. And I thought, wow, got to meet the church. And then one of the brothers introduced me to this man. And uh, he said, he's one of the four elders in this church. Oh, great. Pleasure to meet you. Yeah. Just a couple, three years ago, he was part of the Sinaloa cartel. He met Jesus Christ on that road and his life was transformed. He gave his property next door to his house, to the church, and they built a building right there. And then he grew in Christ and they identified him as an elder. But for a moment when I'm shaking his hand and they told me, and I, I was like, this is pretty serious. <laughs> are you really? Or are you checking us out? You know? Yeah. I can't imagine what they might have felt like to think they knew what Saul was capable of doing because he was dragging people out of their homes and throwing them in prison. Then it says in Acts 11.22, the church in Jerusalem, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And there was a church in Antioch. How did that church get there? Anybody know how that church ended up in Antioch? The church way up here. That's like 300 miles away. How did that church get there? Yeah. No, Stephen's, he's history. Right? It was from the persecution that brothers and sisters left Jerusalem and they started church. Isn't that amazing? Even under persecution, they started church. But the other thing that I get a takeaway from this, the apostles didn't go themselves. They sent Barnabas. He's, he's an encourager and he's trustworthy. It's obviously, right, that they would send him. In Acts 23 to 25, Barnabas goes then, as he greets them and he encourages the church in Antioch, he leaves them and he goes up to Tarsus and he's looking for Saul because Saul's been hanging out in Tarsus for like 14 years. And Titus is there. And so he. He's, he brings him back to Antioch. And it says that they teach in the church for a year there. I thought how humbling that he said, I couldn't do it all, right? I need some help here. So he went and got Saul to come teach, to help teach with that. Then it says also in verse 28 to 30, a famine was coming. And the local disciples sent a gift to the brothers and sisters in Judea via Barnabas and Saul. Again, they're releasing that authority for them. And they're trustworthy. Right? Are you trustworthy? Chapter 12, King Herod persecutes the church. Anybody ready to join the team yet? No hands yet. No takers? 
He's persecuting the church. Verse 2, James, the brother of John, he's put to death with a sword. Are you ready yet? Are you ready to join? That's what your church looks like, right? And the Jews are happy. They're pleased, right? And Peter is arrested and placed in prison. And the church is praying earnestly for Peter. Because it's pretty obvious, hey, we know what happened to James. And Peter's now in prison. But in verse 7 it says, his chains fell off. An angel wakes him up. Now first of all, if you're in prison, (laughs) and you know what you're destined for, right? You're going to be executed. What's it tell you about Peter now? He's changed. He's sleeping with chains on him. An angel's like, Peter, get up. Let's get out of here. And then he takes the time. Put your clothes on. You know? Put your sandals on and follow me. And Peter walks out through two guards. Isn't that incredible? How many of you heard stories of when they were smuggling Bibles into the Soviet Union? I've heard stories from guys that were in those cars. It just said, I don't know. They opened the trunk of the car. They didn't see any Bibles and they let us go. Amazing. And then Peter walks into Mary's house, who's the mother of John Mark. And what happens to Herod in the end? He's eaten by worms and dies because he did not give praise to God in some of those other verses. You, you can read that story for yourself. Verse 24, though, I want you to look at that one. But the Word of God continued to spread and flourish. Whew. Really? even under persecution and what was going on. You can see God's moving even in the midst of persecution. Even in the midst of COVID, God is moving and transforming lives. Acts chapter 13 to 28, the church expands to the ends of the earth. Paul becomes now, we see in these chapters, that he's the leader. And the word is received and rejected. And it's changing lives. It's unifying Jews and Gentiles as one people. One in Christ. Now we have a strategy that is actually cross-cultural evangelism. Right? To all peoples. Here we have a map of all of Paul's actually... Three, but four journeys, because his fourth journey was to Rome, which was all expenses paid (laughs) on behalf of the government. But let's drop in on to chapter 13. Here's Antioch. And the population at that time In A.D. 100, the Roman population was 65 million. And from Rome to Jerusalem was about 25 to 30 million people. Okay? That's, That's a big task, isn't it? That's a lot of people to share. In verse 1... 
of Acts chapter 13, we read that there was prophets and teachers there, right? Let's see if we can get there. Yeah. Prophets and teachers. Barnabas, it names, right? Simeon, Niger, also known as Niger, and Lucius, and Manon. It says that he grew up with Herod. He was the one that killed John the Baptist. He's the one that he beheaded John the Baptist. And he also presided over one of Jesus' trials. Manon became a Christian and a leader in the church in Antioch. Two roads to eternity. Which road do you take, right? While worshiping, it says in verse 2, while they were worshiping and ministering to the Lord and fasting, they heard the Holy Spirit say, wow, isn't that when we hear Him speak to us? Is when we're praying and seeking Him and fasting. Ministering is doing what pleases and honors God, right? Serving one another that they hear His voice. And they're offering their bodies as a living sacrifice, as Paul tells us in Romans 12.1. Fasting, they were seeking a need. We don't... But I can only assume the need that they had was the rest of the story in this chapter. They probably had a passion to spread the word of Jesus to the nations. They had a burden for lostness that people are dying all the time. And they need to hear His word. And they tell them, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them meaning now no delay set them apart and send them in verse 3 that quick send them off are you ready to move that quick are you ready to move that quick are you seeking God to hear his voice of what he would have you to do A Russian story. I'm sure you're all kind of wondering about this over here, right? There's a saying. It's throughout the old Russian Soviet Union. Are we sitting on our suitcases? Are we sitting on our suitcases? Now, knowing the history of Russia, you had to be ready to move anytime. You might be in Siberia. But for the Christians in those countries are you sitting on your suitcases are you like Barnabas and Saul that my stuff's packed I'm ready at a moment's notice to go they also use that illustration for Jesus return the rapture are you ready do you have your life in order but here, we're, I wanted to use this, that are you ready? Now, my wife will testify that I have a room that's sometimes quite a mess. Sometimes, most of the time. But when I was traveling, unlike the year 2020, I'd come home from a trip. 
I'd wash my clothes, and the clothes I'm not using, I put right back in that case. And I'm ready to go at any moment. All I got to do is walk in that room and grab my backpack and my suitcase, and I'm gone. So my question is, are you ready? Are you sitting on your suitcases? The question, where were these men equipped to do the work of the ministry when God called them? Where were they at? They were in church. They were serving the local church. They were working within that local body. And that local body identified these two men that, hey, these are the two guys that we need to send out. We got a burden for lostness beyond our own location of Antioch, and we want to send these guys out. When opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. You can't prepare. Are you trained? Are you practicing locally? Are you practicing globally? Right? How many times have you had an opportunity and thought, man, I'm not prepared? Man, I had an opportunity when I used to work for an aircraft company. They needed somebody to go down and work on a plane that was broken large twin-engine turboprop, and it was in the Eastern Caribbean. And I was like, yes, I'll go. I'm a technician, and I'm an inspector, I'll go. I had never been trained on that airplane. So they picked somebody else. Oh, man. And the guy sends me pictures of him sitting back in his cabana, sand, nice blue-green sea. Oh, I go and work at the airport for a couple, three hours. Oh, i got to order some parts. Yeah, I go back to my cabana. I wasn't prepared. If you're not prepared and trained, get prepared and trained. We'll press on here. And tell me if you see God's strategy and what He's doing and how He's moving. And He still moves today in transforming lives. So we see Paul's journey here in Acts 13 to 14, A.D. 47 to 49. It's a two-year trip. Bye, y'all. We're going to go. I'm taking you on a virtual trip, a mission trip with Paul and Barnabas. And so uh, they go to Cyprus. And uh, who, who's from Cyprus? Do you remember? No? Huh? Barnabas. Barnabas was from Cyprus. Hey, good strategy. I'm going to go to my family and friends first. It says they covered the whole island, right? They continue on. Then he's in Galatia, right? And then they move on up, right? Uh, so they're sent out from Antioch. They have leaders there. And they continue to go. Uh, Silemus and Paphos, Right? Their entry, where do they go? The synagogues, right? That's where, they, and they proclaim the word of God with them, right? And they exit, leave, they leave in peace. And John Mark uh, returns to Jerusalem and from Perga after they go up here. Uh, so again, they're in Antioch, Presidia, and the entry strategy again is the focus on the synagogue and with the Jews. 
and they share the gospel from Abraham to Christ. Hey, that works, right? If you share the story of Abraham to Christ with Jews, they understand that story, right? That works. Many follow Paul and Barnabas. Disciples continue to, and the, they encourage them in the, uh, in, uh, with the grace of God and the whole city, right? So they showed up the next time with them and then they leave. It says though at the bottom there that persecution, a little small there, persecute, they're persecuted by some of the Jews and so they leave. He goes to Iconium. Their team goes to Iconium. Where do they go? The synagogue. And Jews and Greeks... Right? And they spoke the gospel there. Response, Jews and Greeks believed. Wow. Discipleship. They spoke boldly about a time and taught the word of grace. And with signs and wonders, God performed signs and wonders through Paul. The cities divided, and with the Jews, others, and the apostles. And persecution from the Jews started again. Anybody ready to join the team yet? Right? There's persecution on every one of these. Do you expect persecution when you share the gospel? It happens. And then the Lystra, they go on to Lystra, right? They spoke the gospel and healed the crippled man by faith. The people worship them as gods and they say we're not. Right? We're not gods. And they turned to the living God. And they taught them and they shared, you can read it for yourself, the creation to Christ story presentation. And the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and stoned Paul. So they came from the other town, right? We hear you here. I've had that happen. The word gets out around day two or three, you're in a village. The next day, you could have trouble. Because they're looking for you. We hear that you're... So we're looking for you. And then they left there and went to Derby, And they fully preached the gospel here. And many disciples were made, it tells us. That's church number five that started. And they returned. And here's an amazing thing, that there is a road that goes from Derby all the way back over to... through Tarsus into Antioch. But he didn't. He turned around and went back through every one of these churches and encouraged them and strengthened the disciples to encourage them to continue in the faith. He went back to every one of them to continue in the faith. And then, while he was in Antioch, Paul you probably can't see some of this. There's lines, these lines coming out of Antioch. While Paul's in Antioch, he writes the book of Galatians. And it's sent to all those churches in southern Galatia. And they are encouraged by Paul's writing and correction that he has for them. So, so let me ask you here, it has always been Paul wrote this. He says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him would see 
and those who have not heard will understand. That was Paul's heart. That's God's heart. Right? And for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how will they call on Him? In Him they have not believed. And how will they believe in Him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Do you bring the good news with people? Are you willing to go? It says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord. However, it says, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Did you know God promises success in evangelism? <laughs> yes? You believe that? You're thinking, now Lyle's gone crazy again. As an evangelist, I have come to love a doctrine called election. There is a sense of relief knowing that when I evangelize, the eternal destiny of the souls are not dependent on my persuasive words. It doesn't depend on me. I can't convert them. If they are converted by me, it's a, probably a false conversion, right? So you can relax when you share the gospel. Right? It's Him that draws people to Himself. God guarantees success whenever His elect hear His gospel. That's incredible. It does take the pressure off, and it should take the pressure off of you as you share. Jesus promised all, everything that the Father gives me shall come to me in John 6, 37 and 65. Not some, not most, all. The sovereign act of God will eventually result in the conversion of those He has given to the Son. Amen. This occurred when Paul proclaimed the gospel with the Gentiles in Antioch. As many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Acts 13.48, the very chapter that we're in. The elect will come to Jesus as Christians proclaim the voice of God. So we need to proclaim the Word of God to this world outside. That's mouth from my mouth to their ear. From your mouth to their ear. That has to take place. The proclamation. He promised that when His sheep hear His voice, they will follow Him in John 10.27. Whenever Christians sow the imperishable seed, the living Word, He promises to bring forth life when that seed falls on fertile soil. He promises it. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters 
is anything but God who causes the growth. Isn't that what I said at the beginning about Mark chapter 4? That the farmer doesn't know how any of that grows. But it does. God does that. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. 1 Peter 1. Success in evangelism is therefore guaranteed by God, the sovereign decree of Him. What an encouragement for us all. It is to know that God causes those whom He has chosen to come to Him. In Psalm 65.4, How blessed is the one whom you chose and bring near you to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. Man could never prevent God's predetermined plan and purpose. Right? In Romans 8, 29 to 30. We also have in Timothy... Who desires all men to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth? 1 Timothy 2.4 Isaiah, or Ephesians, I'm sorry. In Ephesians it says, Also we have been obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things, all things, after the counsel of His will. And of course, Isaiah declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times and things which have not, have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish my good pleasure. Wow, right? What? We always hear that here, right? Because he is God and we are not, right? Ah, motivations to proclaim the gospel. <laughs> what motivates us to proclaim the gospel? Right? We heard what Peter said. Right? I cannot stop preaching about what we have seen and heard. Right? We must be diligent in proclaiming the gospel because God is pleased to save those who believed in His Spirit works in their heart. His Spirit works in their heart. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that the one died for all and all died for us. That's like a Greek verb it says in this illustration. It's an extra push. It's pushing me out. Like Peter said, I cannot. I have to preach the gospel. I have no choice. I have to. I don't know, in Luling, I'm sure, the watermelon thump, right? And you see the kids and the seeds. You ever do that as a kid? I know none of you did that, right? You take those seeds in your hand and you squeeze that thing as hard as you can. You can point it at somebody, man. That thing will boom, fire right out and hit somebody, right? You never did that? Nobody's going to confess to that. But it will. And that's what, it, that's what it's trying to tell us. It's pushing us out. The love of Christ sends His servant flying to that destinated target. 
my worship to the Lord and the love for Him is what thrusts me out to tell others about my Savior. If I worship, I will want to witness. That's the outflow of what happens in our lives. The faithful Christian knows that God is in control and He moves us to do the work He has prepared for us. We evangelize because we are sent by God to reconcile the world to Himself through Christ. We see that in 2 Corinthians 5.17-20, right? Many of us know that. That we are a new creation in Christ Jesus, right? We're a new creation in Him. And He has given us a message and a mission because He says in those verses that we are His ambassadors here on planet Earth. We're His representatives. My bags aren't packed for planet Earth. My bags are planned for eternity with Christ. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, we beg you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's our identity. We're a new creation. We're ambassadors. And he's given all of us a mission and a message. What a royal privilege it is to represent the king of kings as ambassadors of a lost and dying world. Like Paul, we must endure the things that, for the sake of those who are chosen, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ and with it eternal glory. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He also said, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest field, right? Are you ready? Are you prepared to go into the harvest field? We also know that the people will believe the gospel as the spirit of truth reveals its glory and illuminates the word to them. The answer to why evangelize, it's very simple. You probably didn't have to sit through this whole thing, right? It's very simple. It's obedience. It's loving obedience to our Lord, our Commander-in-Chief, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, who's coming back again. And we get to serve Him. But that's what it comes down to. He said, if you love me, will you keep my commandments? The answer, that's the answer. God has commissioned His saints to call the lost sheep to the shepherd. No longer is He thundering His voice from the mountain. No longer is He speaking from the burning bush. He uses people, Christ followers, Christians named first in Antioch to accomplish the task of getting His word to the elect, proclaiming the good news, the mouth to ear. Let us be motivated with this encouraging thought evangelism, divine election is like a net cast into a sea. It does not drive the fish away, but it draws them in. 
This is the Father's heart. This should inspire all of us to cast the gospel net into the deep waters. Sometimes the dark deep waters where you don't feel comfortable going. More faithfully for the glory of his son, Jesus. He is worthy. Is he not? Is he not worthy that we can open our mouth even if we feel like they'll make fun of us? Can we not do that for Jesus that he hung on the cross naked on our behalf that I can't speak for him? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. That was Barnabas and Paul's message to the Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles. And we also have that message to take. Consider this week who you will share the gospel with. And if you don't know how, let someone know and be trained. I want to leave you with one last quote here. It was actually a quote of a man that fought against slavery, but it works today. You may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. For the Christian, we know what we need to do and to obey and follow Jesus, right? To get your bags packed because he's going to call you and use you. If not locally, he will use you locally or globally. But get prepared to follow after him. Amen? Amen? So if you need to know and how to share, let us know. Okay? Let's pray. Dear Father, what a joy it is to be known our identity as your children that you have called us. We are humbled that you have chosen us. That God, that we would not be silent. We could say like Peter, that I cannot stop preaching Jesus in my community. That God, that you would give us the boldness to speak on your behalf. That God, that you said that you would give us the words to say once we start those conversations. God, that you would uh, equip us and just draw nearer to you. And Father, that you would encourage every one of us, if we don't already, to have our bags packed and ready to go at a moment's notice as Barnabas and Saul were. We thank you for this day and we thank you for your word that you've given us that is accurate and true. We ask it in your son's name, Jesus. Amen.